today on Ag News Daily. Ohio surprised me. I think it, they were really good, uh, but they had a rather immature crop. And then Indiana was the surprise to the downside, as was my route through Western Illinois. This episode is brought to you by the Farm Smart Podcast. Subscribe now at NutrientAgSolutions.com slash FarmSmart. Well, listeners, it is Monday, August 28th, last Monday of August. This month went by quick. So let's jump into this episode today, looking at our weather to begin us out. Weather maps are relatively quiet this morning after the heat wave that baked much of central U.S. last week moved out. Non-severe storms are possible today in parts of southeastern Minnesota, northeastern Iowa, and central Wisconsin. In western and north-central Nebraska, scattered rain and weak storms are expected this morning and afternoon, and the threat of any severe weather will remain low. While the heat has moved out of the central Corn Belt, parts of Oklahoma will likely see triple digits by the end of the week. Extreme fire weather is possible due to the high temperatures, strong winds, and low humidity. And staying on track with the environment, we are jumping into our first story of the day as the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency and Hershey Company on Tuesday last week pledged $2 million to support Pennsylvania dairy farmers in adopting environmentally friendly practices, part of a larger conservation effort to protect the Chesapeake Bay watershed. They made the announcement at Central Manor Dairy in Manor Township, a 200-cow operation that has been a member of Lando Lakes since 1943. The Alliance for the Chesapeake Bay, in collaboration with Lando Lakes, will use funding as part of the ongoing Sustainable Dairy Pennsylvania initiative that the agency and two other companies first launched in 2021. Sustainable Dairy Pennsylvania participating farmers work with the Alliance to establish best practices to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and improve Chesapeake Bay watershed water quality. At launch, the initiative prioritized 119 Lando Lakes member-owned farms in central Pennsylvania that ship 50% or more of their milk supply to Hershey. Lando Lakes operates as a member-owned cooperative, representing more than 1,000 farms across the U.S. Jenna Mitchell Beckett, Pennsylvania Director and Agriculture Program Director for the Alliance, told the Capital Star that the Sustainable Dairy Pennsylvania program is voluntary for farmers who want to participate. The EPA is supplying $1 million of the new round of funding, with Hershey providing a matching $1 million. The National Fish and Wildlife Foundation will administer the portion of the funds provided from the EPA to the Alliance. Moving into our second story of the day from Pork Business, in a significant breakthrough following years of dedicated research into managing escalating feral hog populations, LSU Ag Center scientists, in collaboration with the LSU Department of Chemistry, have successfully developed a game-changing solution. This groundbreaking bait, now patented, offers a promising method to curb the explosion of feral hogs that have been causing substantial economic and environmental damage. This revolutionary bait leverages the power of sodium nitrate to effectively address the issue of feral swine, which have been responsible for causing millions of dollars worth of destruction to agricultural fields and forest lands, not only in Louisiana, but across the nation. Shaped into conveniently sized spheres similar to gummy bears and possessing a distinct fishy flavor, 
This bait is a testament to the collaborative efforts of the LSU Ag Center animal scientist and director, Glenn Sentry, LSU chemistry professor, John Poigman, and former graduate student, Valen Thompson, who worked under Poigman's guidance. Gentry expressed his enthusiasm, calling the patent issuance on August 8th a significant milestone. Years of dedication have culminated in this in innovative solution, developed in response to the burgeoning challenges posed by feral hogs in rural areas. Moving into our final story of the day, Yardstick, a Cambridge, Massachusetts-based soil carbon measurement technology company, raised $10.6 million in Series A funding. The company intends to use the funds to expand operations and its business reach. Led by CEO Chris Tolles, Yardstick provides an integrated suite of software and hardware offerings to solve key soil carbon measurement challenges at a global scale. Its soil carbon measurement solution includes proprietary hardware and software, a cloud-enabled handheld device that instantly measures soil organic carbon up to a meter in depth. The company's stratification engine provides automatic stratification of project fields and creates statistically sound samples plans, which satisfy the complex requirements of any soil carbon protocol. Yardstick's field data platform collects measurement data in real time, ensuring project data are secure, auditable, and instantly available to any other project stakeholder. Users can access a live dashboard of soil carbon measurement data to rapidly understand project progress, quantify stocks and changes, and share this information with key stakeholders, including participating growers, ranchers, foresters, registries, verifiers, commodity buyers, brands, and corporate carbon buyers. Moving into our markets for the day, looking at September corn, it is in the green seven and three quarters, bringing at the end of the day to 478 and a half. December corn is also up eight and a quarter, leaving it at 496 and a quarter. September bean is up 14 and a quarter, bringing it to 13.95 and a quarter. November beans are up 18 even, leaving it at 14.05 and three quarters. Soybean oil is up for September, leaving it at 17 cents, bringing it up to 66.90. Wheat for September is in the red, however, five and a quarter, bringing it down to 5.88 even. Hard red winter wheat for September is down 16 and a half, leaving it at 737 and a half. Closing out our markets for crops, spring wheat for September is down 10 and a half, leaving it at 765 and a quarter. Moving into our livestock markets for the day, October live cattle are in the green, 37.5, bringing it to 181.55. December live cattle are also in the green, 52.5, bringing it up to 185.65. September feeder cattle are up 30.75, bringing it to 254.275. Lean hogs for October are up 2.025, bringing it to 81.85. Wrapping us up for our markets for the day, December lean hogs are up 1.4, bringing it to 73.425. Today for our Market Monday conversation, we have Ted Seifred joining us. So let's jump into it. With the Farm Smart Podcast, we're not just talking change, we're making change together. 
FarmSmart is where sustainability meets opportunity. We're helping growers leverage sustainable practices and products to record positive environmental impacts and provide new revenue streams. Tune in to learn more about sustainable ag and the opportunities and incentives that are enabling us to get to the future faster. Get the FarmSmart podcast on your favorite streaming platform or at NutrientActSolutions.com slash FarmSmart. Well, listeners, I'm sure you all know there's been plenty going on in the market, and there was also the Pro Farmer Crop Tour last week. Joining us today is Ted Seifred. Ted, let's just jump into it. What were your overall thoughts on crop conditions last week and just in general on the Pro Farmer Crop Tour? Yeah, Jennifer, um, you know, the crop tour is something that I've done. That, that This was my nine, ninth year in a row. Um, and it's it's something I do. It's my biggest sort of research week of the year, right? Because I like to go out there and see what we're actually looking at. Uh, this was the first time in, in, I think, six or seven years that I went on the eastern leg. I usually go on the west, or I, I, I have been going on the west. Uh, but I kind of wanted to see some of the things that were happening in the east. And for the most part, what I'll say is uh, Ohio surprised me. I think it, they were really good, uh, but they had a rather immature crop. And then Indiana was a surprise to the downside, as was my route through Western Illinois. Uh, so I didn't like what I had seen there. Uh, but through those three states, it was amazing how things changed from being a fairly immature crop, relatively speaking, uh, in Ohio and and uh, eastern Indiana to what was really a rather mature crop in western Illinois. Uh, and so if I look at where the rains occurred mid, mid last week into the weekend, I think the areas that did get the rain, i.e. Ohio and eastern Indiana, uh, also you could say the same thing on the west for Nebraska and the South Dakota, those are areas that I think are really, really going to benefit uh, the soybeans, corn there. I think that's going to be really, really good. Uh, now, there was a lot of sort of disappointing corn in Illinois. Iowa itself, the eastern side of Iowa was really very mixed. I know the guys on the west were really rather disappointed with western Iowa and southern Minnesota. Uh, so we had a lot of, oh, I'm going to say it, Jen Jennifer, we had a lot of variability and by the way, that's the like catchword that we talk about every year during crop tour. Uh, you hear it every year, but but this is a year where there was a whole lot of it. Uh, so trying to figure out where we ended up uh, was a bit difficult. And so Pro Farmer put those numbers together, and then they look at the forecast and they look at you know how we're going to potentially finish out this growing season. And they gave us a 172 on corn which I really do agree with. I think that's right in the ballpark of where corn is. And it could be plus or minus a bushel. If the weather gets better, that might uh, add a little bit. If the weather stays hot, dry, uh, concerning like it is right now, uh, it could actually shave off a little bit more. But I think that's right in the, the general bar ballpark of where I would put this corn crop. Uh, for soybeans, though, when I first saw their number, I was like, you know, that doesn't really seem very consistent for me with with what we were looking at in pod counts, especially in the East. But then you put that together with the all important rest of August into September forecast. And we say, Oh, wow. You know, this is going to be a struggle for these soybeans to finish out. And so they're, they're sub 50, uh, they're 49, what 49, seven estimate for soybeans. At first I was like, you know, I think that's a bit low. Um, but you know, looking at the forecast and everything like that, I understand why they came out with that number. Now, 
I actually think that number will end up being higher because what what I will say is that the areas that had the really flat pods, same thing when we were talking about immature corn, a lot of those areas got a, a real decent amount of rain to finish them, you know, finish those those uh, beans out and fill those pods. And then the areas that are really you know centered into the hot and dry again, Western, Western Illinois, you didn't love what you were seeing there, but the pods that were out there were fairly full. They had more, more to go, but they were also sitting on some fairly large, fairly green plants that are going to do everything they can to push that moisture from the plant into the beans as they sacrifice themselves as they do every year. So I, I wonder if that number will be end up being a bit low for soybeans, but again, you know, I, I, that's really kind of assuming that we get back to a little bit more normal weather, which I'm wondering, I'm wondering if that might happen, if the forecasts might get a little bit more normal when we get back from this upcoming three-day holiday weekend. Absolutely. It sounds like you have been up to a lot and have learned a lot over the past week from the tour of looking at all of the crops. And you kind of touched on it for a good little bit of time, but let's talk some more about what your overall thoughts looking forward to the rest of this growing season will be. How do you think crops will turn out for yields and how will that impact the markets? And specifically, it's looking like did farmers miss their chance to sell $5 December corn? Yeah, um, you know, and, and we were sort of tickling five five dollar December corn here at the end of the day on Monday, uh, closing at uh, four ninety six and a quarter, uh, high of the day four ninety seven and a half. So really, kind of bearing down on that. Uh, and at the moment, we're we're very much into a weather market. Uh, in fact, you know, it's kind of rare to have late season weather markets, but we had one last year because it got hot and dry at the end of the growing season. And there's a, a lot of, you know, kind of similarities that's, that's reminding us, giving us flashbacks to last year. So I think there's going to be a fairly decent amount of strength here in this week. Uh, as long as that forecast doesn't dramatically and unexpectedly change at some point during the week, I think we're going to carry a lot of strength through this week. But then once we get past this week into a three-day holiday weekend, three-day ho holiday weekends are sort of notorious for seeing weather pattern changes or, or for major forecast changes. So that is a possibility. But even if we don't, you know, you kind of got to think, well, once you get past the the Labor Day holiday weekend, you start to get into a time frame where what's done is done, really, for corn. I, I'm really specifically talking about corn for that. Um, so, again, I, I, I don't know if strength will carry on past, week, past this week. I think producers really need to be looking at this week and possibly later on in the week as their opportunity to get more sold. Because now we're, yeah, like you said, you know, we're, we're looking at $5 corn, uh, December corn again. We're looking at $14 November beans again. These are price levels that for a moment or two we weren't sure if we'd see again. So, uh, yeah, I do think it's an opportunity, and I worry about what happens after we come back after a three-day holiday weekend, because at some point we're we're going to shift the conversation back towards demand. And for soybeans, that might not be a terribly bad conversation, but for corn, it really is going to be hard to get excited about uh, what our export prospects are. Um, feed and ethanol are, are somewhat constant, but. Yeah, I don't know. I think there's a lot of room on that balance sheet to take away some demand in order to offset a lower supply. Uh, so, you know, when that conversation starts in, in earnest or, or we start focusing that on that more so than the weather, uh, we could be looking at, at a downdraft in corn. 
Uh, and again, I'm, I'm worried that we might see our high here this week. So I think, again, producers should really be looking at that as an opportunity. Most definitely. And kind of changing shapes a little bit here, let's look at the global south. What has been going on in South America? We haven't really heard much in the headlines about them for a while. And how are their, how, how is their weather down there kind of impacting um, our markets right now? Yeah. And, and, you know, so we all go through growing seasons, right? Um, and in South America, for the most part, you know, this is the time of year where we're really focused on the tail end of our harvest or, or I'm sorry, our growing season and into our, into our harvest. Um, and we kind of lose a little bit of focus on the South American crop because they're in between, right? This is sort of their midwinter time um, or even kind of the end of winter time for them because it, they're Southern Hemisphere. So it's the opposite of us. Uh, but that is something that will start to get talked about here pretty soon. And this has been their dry season, right? Their winter time is sort of their dry season and they've had some pop-up rains. I, I think they're going to have some pretty good subsoil moisture going into this growing season, which usually means they will get planted early unless they start getting too much rain early on. Uh, and that will set them up for some pretty good yields because then they have to worry less about uh, really stretching the window for that second season crop. So I, unfortunately, I'm going to say that if we, when we start looking at South American weather again, for right now, I think we're going to see some pretty good outlooks for, for South America. And I think Argentina has the potential for a major comeback here after two really, really terrible years. Uh, just based on on the big shift from La Nina to El, El Nino, uh, we were in the northern hemisphere. We've had to deal with the sort of transitionary process between that, which has not been comfortable. Uh, we generally don't have good, great crops in these transition years, but that transition will have already taken place by the time South America gets planted and, and into the heart of their growing season. So it really might, uh, if I had to guess right now, I'm going to say, uh, they might be looking at some pretty darn good weather here this year. Yeah, and then staying down south um, some more, let's look at the Panama Canal. How has the reduced traffic through that area affected our trade right now? Yeah, I mean, it, it affects global trade as a whole, right? And, and it's not just agriculture. Um, you know, everything's kind of competing uh, to go through there. So having to find different routes, uh, you're, you're seeing fairly sizable increases in shipping, which unfortunately isn't terribly bullish for exports here in the U.S. necessarily, uh, because if, if countries are having to pay more for shipping, um, they look at days like today where you've got higher priced corn and higher priced beans as sort of being that double whammy. And maybe they just decide, you know, I think I'm going to wait for now uh, until some of these issues get resolved. So, you know, I, I, I don't it's never a good thing when you have issues with uh, logistics. Uh, it's never a good thing when you have issues with the Pan Panama Canal. Um, but it's coming at sort of a bad time because this is the, the sort of peak or part of when we make sales. And then pretty soon here, we're going to be shipping out uh, new crop corn and beans. Perfect, Ted. Well, thank you for joining us today. There's always so much more to chat about, but sadly, we're running out of time. If listeners would like to learn more about markets that we chatted about today, where's the best place for them to go? Yeah, I mean, you can reach me directly at 312-277-0113. Aside from that, we have an afternoon uh, recording. It's about a five-minute recording that we do. Um, 
and you can sign up for that on our website. And then if you're on the Twitters, I am at the Ted spread and I, I like to have a little fun with the Twitters, but certainly during crop tour week, I am uh, very active in putting out all my findings and pictures and, and kind of letting people follow along with my journey. Definitely. Listeners will have to check it out. Thank you again, Ted. Pleasure's mine, Jennifer. Have a great day. With the Farm Smart Podcast, we're not just talking change, we're making change together. Farm Smart is where sustainability meets opportunity. We're helping growers leverage sustainable practices and products to record positive environmental impacts and provide new revenue streams. Tune in to learn more about sustainable ag and the opportunities and incentives that are enabling us to get to the future faster. Get the Farm Smart Podcast on your favorite streaming platform or at nutrientagsolutions.com slash farmsmart. Well, listeners, thanks for tuning in for this episode of Market Monday. My name is Jennifer, and be sure to be on the lookout the rest of the week as Delaney and Tanner will be back and have plenty to talk about as they have both been on the road today. But in the meantime, we are going to let you go. Subscribe to the Farm Smart Podcast on your favorite streaming platform or at nutrientagsolutions.com slash farmsmart.